Hey, I'm Pastor Dave Ferguson. Welcome to Crosswalk Chattanooga's Weekend Teaching Podcast. We're glad you're with us. Well, good morning, Crosswalk friends, family, guests. It's good to have you with us today. If you, if this is your first time here, we hope you feel welcome. We'd love this to be your home. We're honored that you would come. And for our family that's here regularly, you know we're in a series, the Adventure Teaching Series. As we go through the holiday season, last week we dove in around the story around the little town of Bethlehem. This week, if you've been following in the series guide, you know there's been a lot of discussion around what it would be like for, for God to send his son as a little baby into occupied Judea under Roman occupation. And we're going to get into it just a little bit uh, as we kind of continue on. But I, I just think I should point out, in case you missed it, I brought, I brought my gift today. Um, right here, and so a couple of them actually. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about this gift, but I'm curious, is there anybody in the room who has already accomplished all their Christmas shopping? You've, you've completed it all, some of you are, just look around, there are only a couple of hands. There, all right, very good, Jared. You, we've got a couple of bold people. How many of you have not even started? I mean, you just haven't even started and uh, I'll let you take your hands down and I'm not going to ask you how many of you have decided I'm not getting anything for anybody. No, that's that we're not going to. If I were to sit with you, if we were to talk one-on-one -on -one and I were to ask you the question, what is Christmas about? What is it if, if, I, if an alien came and plunked down in the middle of the holiday season and, uh, and, and then somebody said something about Christmas and they said, it's Christmas, what's, what's that about what would your response be? Surely, because here we are in a church, some of us would say, well, it's about, it's about the Christ child. It's about, uh, it's peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's what it is. Of course, if you were sitting with a child and you asked that question, you'd go a whole different direction, I'm pretty sure. It'd be about Christmas lights and packages and uh, about good food and cookies and we sing songs, right? You might run into somebody who would describe Christmas in terms that are actually very discouraging. Turns out, and my, my, I've, I've noticed this, that, that some of us, we only have great thoughts around Christmas and others of us have some difficulty. I'm going to suggest to you that while many of us, the Christmas carols come on and we've, we've put lights on a tree and it's a special time of year and it's lovely and it's awesome and it's wonderful, I'm going to tell you, I'm almost certain of it, that in this very room there are people who have a different experience with Christmas entirely. I... Uh, <clears throat> So I was in undergraduate school at Andrews University, and uh, I had just come back from Christmas break. It was in those first very cold up there, very cold weeks of January, and I decided I needed a haircut. Now, what you need to understand about me and haircuts is I probably can never quite tell you when I last had my haircut. I just, and I don't, so it's not like I don't even know how long I should go and then get another haircut. I just know suddenly I feel like I better get a haircut. Ah, my hair bothers me. I'm going to get it cut. So this happened that January, and the great news was that walkable across campus, down the entryway to the university, across the highway, and up a little bit of a hill, there was a shop there, and a woman who cut my hair with regularity, and I knew I could just call, or I could wander over, and chances were good that I could just get my hair cut. So I wandered across there, went in to get my hair cut, and sure enough, nobody else was in there, and, and I just, can I get my hair cut now? And she said, sure. 
Dave. We knew each other by then a little bit. And so uh, at that point, sometimes it's different depending on where you get your hair cut. But what she was going to do was wash my hair first and then scissor cut it. And so uh, she sat me down in that reclining chair with a back that doesn't have support. And into that little kind of toilet bowl thing, my head went, right? So now I'm pinned there. And I don't know if you've felt it, but you, you can't, you, you almost lose feeling in your neck because of that, you know. And so I'm now there and water is, and I'm looking up at her and I feel like awkward. And so I kind of just... I reflexively, I just say, well, so, so how was your Christmas? And I was not prepared for what happened next. I, I don't know if I should have noticed there was something different about her already. I didn't. But in that moment that I asked that question, and I'm looking up at her face as she is washing my hair, it just, I mean, clouds over her face. As she said, not good at all. Yeah, yeah, you have, uh, you know, hey, how are you doing? And somebody says, not great. And it takes you by surprise. You're not even sure what to do or to say. And so without hardly even thinking, you can't help yourself but just kind of spit back out. Well, really, why not? And she goes on to tell me that on Christmas Eve, this last December, while I was at home opening packages in the, my Ferguson household, which Christmas Eve is, of course, when any reasonable person would open the packages. I know, there are some of you who open them Christmas morning, and I just want you to know Jesus loves you anyway. <laughs> but uh, but there, there, there she's telling me the story. Christmas Eve, they have a family gathering. Her husband is on his way to the family gathering, and he is hit by a drunk driver and killed. I'm pinned in the toilet bowl thing. And I've just taken us a direction I did not expect. And of course I'm thinking she's about to take out sharp things and around my head. I've thought about her every once in a while. You see for me Christmas is spectacular. Christmas is family getting together. The smell of the house at Christmas, a little bit of a pine scent and then maybe pumpkin pie or I don't know. It's, it's the best. And time with family and maybe family that's traveling and we're now able to be together. And there's game playing and there's music and there's, it's the best, right? And for her, no. For her, this year, assuming she's still alive somewhere on this planet, this year Christmas was a haunting reminder of terrible tragedy. And it strikes me that even Christmas is an issue of perspective. And that for somebody here, as we sing of the goodness of God, hark the herald angels sing, majesty come to earth, peace on earth. For somebody in this room, it's not peace. Oh, and if we go outside of this room, yeah, Christmas, it's frankly, it's a matter of perspective. Some of us have lived lives where there are certain Christmases that are joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And there are other Christmases that are disaster and loneliness and I'm not enough and I don't have what anybody else has and I'm confused and I'm distraught. I want to ask you what you think this is. What do you think it is? 
Some of you know because you've seen this picture before somewhere probably. Uh, do, you, do you know, do you have an idea what this is? No, no, please move along, sir. That, that, was, that was the message I just got from your eyes. Uh, no, you're talking to me. That's not right. Move. Okay. Which, by the way, it is at this moment that I am realizing that there is a podcast that somebody will be listening to this, and what we're about to do here, they will have no clue what happened. But this is, in fact, a pencil. Same picture just pulled back farther. That's one of the issues with perspective, right? When you get right up close, you, you see one thing, and if you pull back further, you see something else, and sometimes a different angle, and you see yet another something. What's this? Gross. Probably some kind of roach antenna, right? No, no, that's, that's not. Or this. Anybody have an idea? It's, uh, it's the top of that Coke bottle. Or how about this? <laughs> yeah, I, mm. Again, my deepest apologies to those of you listening on the podcast. Um, and I've realized that there are often things that I do or say that are accompany visuals, and just it's my apologies. I'm sorry, but you want to be in the room probably next time. But this is, in fact, a pepper much less gross, a little further out. I thought maybe somebody had a blood problem there and it was all their orange blood. No, it's a matter of perspective. There's a quote that I love written by a gentleman named D. Hawk who actually was one of the founders of American Express and ushered in the whole digital banking wave some years back. And in a book called The Birth of the Chaotic Age, he wrote this simple sentence which I regularly think about. Perspective is the Achilles heel of the mind. Now, sometimes we use Achilles heel almost, we, we use it kind of incorrectly. We, we'll say, well, that's your Achilles heel. Like, that's the thing you do wrong. That's the area of your weakness. An Achilles heel can be strong, but we often just don't think about it. And even a strong Achilles can tear easily and is vulnerable. And in fact, the idea that our perspective creates vulnerabilities in us, it can be our perspective that God should be like this and we're parked right up a tight. It could be our perspective that when pain happens, if I lose a loved one, that in fact God does not exist. But what if there are other perspectives? What if God, and what if Christmas? I'm going to just say it to you. We sing the Christmas songs, and it's lovely. It's wonderful. But we've kind of taken the Christmas story and really wrapped it in bows and paper and made it pretty. It wasn't all that pretty. You could have easily been feeling shame, disgust, disappointment, fear if you're one of the characters in the Christmas story. And amidst it, there is God coming to earth. I want to suggest to you that there is a perspective that we're invited into even in this Christmas story. For just as, God says, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I, I'm, I'm just saying to you, Dave, that this thing that you think you see so clearly, if you pull back, you'll see it's a pencil, and you didn't even know how useful it could be. This thing parked right up here, it seems gross. No, that's just an apple. This disaster you're living through, pull back. If you could pull back, 
The expectation you have, if God is real, here's how he would treat me. If you pulled back, you might see something very, very different. You might actually ask for something different if you could change your perspective. Have you ever sold anything so fast that it caused you to question? I, so I, I had a golf cart, and uh, in part because I lived about a half mile from the church. I was serving in, and so I would drive over there, and I would drive across Southern's campus, and I could park pretty well anywhere I wanted to. It's pretty awesome. And then I shifted to working here, and I decided, okay, I'm going to sell my golf cart. So I put it on Facebook Marketplace, and I posted pictures of it, and I launched that post at 7 p.m. on a particular evening, and the next day, by 11 o'clock, it was gone. Sold. Immediately. Without questions. Cash counted out and handed to me moments after taking a look at the thing. You know what I thought? I clearly could have sold this for more. I sold this way too, way too quickly, too easily. I wish I had. And you pull back. And I wonder if the thing you would ask for most naturally, right up tight here with this perspective, if you pulled back, I wonder if you're selling the golf cart too cheaply. If there's something way bigger that's going on here that God has in mind for you and we settle for now over eternity. And we take the quick cash instead of the deep investment. And if you're going through pain this Christmas season, let me reverse that. If you've never gone through pain in a Christmas season, buckle up. It is coming for you. If your life has been just, I mean, unfathomably beautiful and wonderful at every turn, every step, you are wildly in the minority and you're living on borrowed time on a planet that is under attack. But for those of you that are going through pain this Christmas season and difficulty and it causes you to wonder how can we even sing these songs, peace on earth. Almost every song, I think at least three of the songs we sing or will sing today have Prince of Peace, peace on earth in it. And you look around, and not all is peace. So did Jesus come or not? If I'm not careful, if you're not careful, I think you will pass up on a gift God has for you today. And you will misunderstand it. You'll be so close, the perspective will escape you if we don't. Just decide today, I'm going to pray over, I'm going to ask for a God's eye view. Help me pull back just a little bit. Help me see from a little more distance. So as we do that, as we do that, I'm going to invite you to consider the fact that God chose to come and rescue his people in a certain sort of way that would completely freak out and, and terrorize those who are in power. They would be afraid of it when God comes. And his people would be disappointed by it when God comes. And if we're not careful, 
We set ourselves up for a perspective of either fear of God or disappointment with God because we're so close and we haven't pulled back to accept the better gifts. So I'll take you to, uh, well, the occupation of Rome. I think you've been dying to hear about it. So we're going to take a look a little bit. It's, in the, it's embedded in the Christmas story. Luke starts his Christmas story, at least this portion of the Christmas story, chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar Augustus. Now, by the way, Caesar Augustus, this is, uh, this is his lifespan, 63 B.C. to 14 A.D. He became... He became emperor of Rome, all of Rome, and Rome was vast and a large portion, up to a third of the population of the earth, um, at about 27 uh, BC. So during a good portion of the childhood into teenage years of Jesus' life, it was Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus who said, we're going to tax all of you based on your heritage, and so you've got to go back to the town of your lineage, Joseph. And you're going to go to Bethlehem. We read about that a little bit. Caesar Augustus, by the way, by the time Jesus was born, would be commonly referred to as Caesar Augustus, son of God. That was his full name. By then, the legend had it that he was the son of Apollos, the god Apollos. Coins would actually have that on some of them. Caesar Augustus, Son of God. There was a son of God already. You don't need to be sending another son of God. And in fact, there was plenty of peace. History would tell us there's a 200-year span that they titled the Pax Romana, which is Roman peace. The Roman peace. There's an interesting thing about peace, though. There's a difference between choosing peace and having peace put on you. Have you... I have an older brother, Lowell, who, two and a half years older than me, he was always faster, stronger, bigger. We got along great. Frankly, I, you might as well say we never fought. Um, well, because, I don't know how it would have gone if, if the story I'm about to tell you had gone differently, but... At one point, I remember as a child getting so frustrated with him, and I grabbed him and tried to tackle him, and he flicked his leg a little bit, and I flew to the ground, and he sat atop me, and I started to kind of go like this with my arms, and he grabbed my arms, and he pinned them down. He said, are you going to stop? I said, yeah! And then he kind of started to let go, and I was going. I was ready to go. I was ready to fight. I was ready for war. And you probably could see it. You know how that happens? Like, you know those, those lizards who can fan their neck out? <laughs> My face probably turning red, and I'm twitching under his control. And we are at peace. And by the way, one or two of those times, and you don't fight back. You don't even try. Why try? We, we would have looked very much like we were fully at peace, and in part because I knew it was dumb to even try anything. One day, we were playing a game. It was a Bible game, Bible Seek. There were these cards. You had to come flipping through the Bible. You had to do a certain thing, and, and I was just this close to winning. He always won everything. And, and he, right about the time I was about to win, he won! And I slammed my fists onto the table, and it made all the pieces of the game go boop. 
and now you couldn't tell what was what and where anything should be, and he was now angry. And he got up in my face, and I got up in his face, and there was some pushing, which resulted in me tumbling backwards over a couch. And in my mind's eye, as I tell this story, there was a very Bruce Lee thing that happened because I bounced up off the couch. You know, I believe single move. And he had somehow made it around the couch in that time span. And as I bounced up from the couch, I swung. Oh. And I nailed him in the jaw. And then I remembered why I never did that before. <laughs> he gave me a couple of fists across the head, and I'm now on the couch, just peaceful. <laughs> this is the experience of Judah, of Judea, of Jerusalem, of the Jews there in Rome. Sure, Pax Romana. There were some little fights here and there, but they're not doing much. But by the way, the son of God, Caesar Augustus, was referred to as the prince of peace. So interesting, when God chooses to have a baby be the prince of peace, this is not going to work if you're here. You're going to have to pull back for this plan to have any shot. Well, it's not just Caesar Augustus. It's also Herod. We read about this last week as we were introducing the little town of Bethlehem. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. And of course, they're asking, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews, which is exactly King Herod's title? It's bubbling up to the surface that we've got these foreigners, a whole group of them that are here looking for who they're calling the king of the Jews, and we don't only know to bring them to you. And he can tell immediately they're not talking about him. Someone is being born right now as king of the Jews somewhere, and it turns out in Bethlehem. By the way, here's, what, here's some of what you need to know about Herod the Great. First of all, the word Herod is a you can find it about 44, I believe, times in the New Testament. But many of those times, they're not talking about this dude. They're talking about one of maybe possibly up to four of his sons, one of his grandsons, one of his great-grandsons. They're kind of littered through the New Testament, the line of Herod. But this, at this moment, as Jesus is born, is considered by scholars to be the last year of Herod's life. And he, he became king of the Jews, Really, arguably, either 40 B.C. or 37 B.C. Now, buckle up, because we got a little bit of history I'm going to just share with you, and if you don't care about history, uh, just, you know, try, try to just lock in and pretend. But here are some things about Herod the Great. First of all, he, was, he, he grew up in Jerusalem. He was a practicing Jew. In fact, he cared a lot about Judea. This was home. But he was never accepted by the people. In fact, he was hated by the people. A variety of reasons. Along the way, right around 40 BC, as the Parthians, sorry, I told you there's a little bit of history, overtook 
Jerusalem. He goes to Rome and says, hey man, I think we should free this back. We should get this back. We should get Jerusalem, Judea back. This is his home. He's arguing for it. And we'll put, we'll put in place a king from the line of David. That's what the people are going to want. And Rome goes, great idea. Let's do it. Here's an army, except you win this, and actually we want you to be king. Here's the problem. See, he's not of the line of David. He's not, he, he's actually an Edomite. And if you don't know, those are the descendants of Esau. They're considered Arabs and not Jews. And so he is an outsider on the inside. Well, it takes three years from 40 BC to 37 BC as the numbers count down backwards. It takes those three years laying siege to Jerusalem destroying all sorts of stuff, including portions of the temple, for him to take control. And so you can imagine how the people of that besieged city feel about the one who takes over. And by the way, he's not one of us. Over his life, he raises taxes because he wants to earn their favor, because he wants to rebuild the temple, which he does, so that when Jesus and the disciples are in that valley looking at the temple, and he's talking about, if you were to destroy this temple, I would raise it up in three days, and they think he's talking about this wonder of the world. They're talking about the temple that Herod the Great rebuilt, portions of which Herod the Great was not allowed to go into because of his lineage. Well. He's got a wife and a child who it would be that child's throne. He actually sends them into exile because he will marry a woman, Mariami, who is a descendant of David. And this he's trying, he's trying to get this all together. And she has a couple of sons. They are now of the lineage of David. Well, the problem is he's also extraordinarily suspicious that somebody's trying to take his power all through his life. He puts, because he has the, Opportunity and the power to do so, he puts Mariami, his, his wife of the line of David, her brother, he puts him in the position of high priest. And the people love that so much, he immediately becomes jealous. And history tells us that then he took the family on a vacation to Jericho and they had a pool party in which this brother-in-law of his is swimming somewhere in the deep end and a couple of soldiers are swimming too and at Herod's nod, they drown him. Well, now the whole family gets all soured. By the time it's done, Herod has killed his wife's father, his wife's mother, his wife's son. His wife. She's not real fond of him. In fact, they say he was in love with her. She loathed him. He would leave instructions whenever he would travel on journeys and trips that if he did not make it back alive, to kill her. <laughs> constantly. I mean, it's a, it's a rough checkered history for this Herod the Great. And then as he gets older and older and he dies in the year that Jesus is born, he starts having more and more what mental difficulties. The two sons of his wife, Mariami, he decides they're plotting to take over his throne and he kills them, his own sons. He ends up killing his wife, Mariami. He ends up bringing back his first wife and that first and oldest son, because maybe he'll take over the throne. In fact, in the last five days of Herod the Great's life, his son, his oldest son, decides, you know what, it's time. He can barely get out of bed. It's, he's in a 
problem. The problem is he's still got tons of influence and he learns that his oldest son is considering taking over the throne. So in the last five days of his life, he kills another one of his sons. He leaves instructions for his own funeral and the instructions are, to, he names a bunch of noblemen of Jewish descent in the city that he wants invited to the funeral and because he's afraid no one will mourn his death, he wants those noblemen killed so there will be mourning. This dude is nuts, he's rough, it's murder, he's freaked out by the idea foreigners would come and say, there is a baby boy that is going to be born here who is king of the Jews. No, he's not king of the Jews. Maybe you don't see the inscription. I am king of the Jews. Ah, but he's also shrewd. I tell you what, you go find him, come back and let me know, and, and I will worship him, you know, the way I like to worship, with a sword. They are warned of it. They don't come back and tell him where they find the child. And so Herod does what he does. And little boys lose their lives. So it makes some kind of sense, doesn't it? That the Jews are not fully impressed with the Roman peace that they, and by the way, they believed until there was a descendant of David on the throne, God would not fulfill his promises. So they hated Herod and they wanted somebody else. But their expectations didn't fit with Jesus either. And I wonder if it's possible right now, this Christmas season, um, in our midst, that Jesus can show up and his enemies are frightened and are violent and his followers are disappointed. Shouldn't, if you're going to show up, shouldn't you do, I gave you the list. I thought you checked it twice. It wasn't that you, no, that was okay, so that's the other dude. I have told you what I want. And God is saying, you are selling the golf cart way too cheap. I, you need to pull back and see the bigger thing, the bigger view, the bigger vision. But this is the same Jesus who at the very beginning of his ministry would step up on a day of worship, be handed scrolls, would read the following, after which he would say, by the way, what we're talking about here, that's me. Or he would say, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we can read that. And there are, there are people in our midst who will be putting our hands in the air and saying, yep, you have done it. Good plans. I feel the good plans. I'm in the middle of your good plans. And I know it. And there are others of us who are trying to figure out how can it possibly be that people sing this way because if you knew what was going on in my life, you might not be able to believe like that. And Jesus comes to your world, to our world, to this season, and he says, I'm just going to invite you. I'm going to ask you, please, pull back a little bit. I have a different vantage point. If you knew what I can see, you would trust me. I want to ask you to trust me. Well, let's just be honest about it. There are always Romans. All right? This is a metaphor. There are always Romans. There is always captivity. You, if you think everything's going smoothly, you've gotten used to the captivity. 
Jesus comes to set us free, and the Christmas season is so fascinatingly an issue of perspective because we can settle for the wrong thing way so fast. But Jesus has something for you, something for me, whether your life has been going swimmingly or maybe you can't even find the words to try to describe the pain you're currently enduring. But we, if not careful, we'll ask for the wrong thing. You know, I could use some financial help, Lord. I, I was hoping this relationship would go better. God, I, I've just been told I have an incurable disease. If I could just have one wish, it would be that the cancer would go away. And God says, you are, you are selling out for way too cheap. Trust me, go with me. I've got something bigger going on than just the tip of the pencil, just the seed all the way up here in your eyeball. There is more. There is a gift I have to give to you. I just want to, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to see how we do with this. I'd like to talk to you about um, the gift, my gift. So, uh, you, as, if, as you can tell, there are two of them here. Thank you, Carolyn, for wrapping these for me. I appreciate that. She did a good job. Lovely. Somebody asked me if I wrapped them. and No. <laughs> I want to take you to something Paul wrote. And it's in gift language. Check this out. For you have been given a gift. You have been given a gift. Not only the privilege of believing in Christ. That's gift Gift number one, not only, and by the way, if you've not opened that gift, let's not even worry about the second gift until you take, you just take advantage of that first gift because we know believing in Christ Jesus, it's salvation. It's forgiveness, it's grace. You have that gift, but it's the language you can kind of tell if you're not looking at it on your phone or whatever right now or in your Bible, you might not realize, but he goes on here. That's what the dot, dot, dot tells us, suggests, clues. For you, for you, it's been given, not just this one gift, but a, how many of you have had somebody walk up to you and go, I feel so terrible. I had had a gift for you that I've forgotten to give you, and, I, and, and, and here it is, and they're so apologetic, and you didn't know the gift was coming. So all you're thinking is, well, <laughs> awesome. Just let go of it now. Or how about this? Okay, so it would be weird, wouldn't it, to apologize. I, so... I got you a gift. Well, if I'm honest, I got you two gifts. Uh, bring it. Bring it. If one is good, two are great. So what's the second gift, Paul? What is coming next? For you, it's been given not only the privilege of believing in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Woo! How about we, um, can we put that gift, we just leave that gift, let's just... Let's go with just the first gift and not the second gift. And I would suggest to you we're missing out on something if we don't realize that the gift of God, the gift of Christmas, the Jesus who came, the Prince of Peace, understands that we are in the middle of a war, but he has pulled back. He can show us, he can tell us there is more going on than you can see from here. It's bigger, and in fact, it is what you would choose if you could know to so don't be discouraged and don't evaluate the whole thing by today or by here.
Listen for God and open yourself to this gift that he has for you. I think actually Christmas can play a part in causing us or allowing us to settle for something small. Wants of the day instead of the outcry of our heart of hearts to be fully seen, to be fully known, to be fully accepted, to be washed clean, to have eternity, to be completely safe. And Jesus comes and says, that's what Christmas is about. That's what I'm doing. But you gotta pull back to be able to see it because otherwise what you're gonna see is a guy who was killed by a drunk driver and it's over. No, 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 Jesus says. No, what Christmas is about is that can happen and it's still not over. That you can have Everything, train wreck version of your career preparation, you're not going to be a doctor. And it's not over. That you could be left behind by somebody you trusted. And Jesus says, it's not over. If you can pull back. Because there's something big that's going on. And then there's this. My mother loved Christmas loved Christmas and we loved Christmas for multiple reasons. One, we loved it for ourselves, but we also loved it for her. We could tell how much she loved it and it was awesome. And in 2014, leading up to Christmas, we got news that she had cancer. So I left Andrews a little bit early to go and spend time going to doctor's visits with her. About 11 hour drive, went early, spent time. We spent that Christmas knowing that as soon as Christmas and New Year's were over, she was gonna start going into the hospital for five to seven days at a time, receiving intravenous chemotherapy and injections, and she'd be staying in the hospital that whole time. My dad and I had conversations, and so it'd be three weeks of therapy, or one week of therapy every three weeks. And my dad and I decided we didn't want her to spend a night in the hospital alone. And so, every three weeks, I would drive back, had a friend give me a flight that I could fly back, but I would go back to Hamburg while I'm trying to do my job at Andrews University, and I would alternate with my dad and spend the night in the hospital with my mom. And I'd, I'd comfort her when she was hallucinating from some of the medications, and I'd help her in and out of bed, and I would... And I'd take her to the bathroom. I gotta tell you, it's one of the great honors of my life to be able to serve my mom in those moments that from here, all you can see is suffering. But if you pull back, I was given a gift I've often said I, I live my life within about 10 feet of my body. What I mean by that is some people do great with calling and writing cards and emailing. and I get so caught up with what's going on right around me that I forget about people very far away, even my own mother. But I was given a gift. You know, it... it strikes me that most every human being on the planet uses the phrase, I love you. And some 
cheapen that phrase for all the rest of us. But every once in a while, you will have the opportunity to do something that defines what I love you means. And I got to. And I'm so thankful. And it makes me wonder if that's what Paul is talking about. He's saying, look, yeah, you get to receive salvation, but there's something more. You get to partner with Jesus in the sufferings he goes through as he attempts to save this world. And you get to be a person who might on occasion experience frustration and difficulty and yet can pull back and see from his vantage point that he is the king of kings, that he is the son of God, that he is the prince of peace on days when it's peaceful and on days when it is not. That you deserve, I deserve, no matter what it is that's happened or happening in your life, to step into a perspective of God's higher ways where we would be able to see he's got this. It does not matter if you are condemned with cancer, he has you. It doesn't matter if you lost your job or you're struggling financially, you are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of the one who owns it all. Be just a tiny bit patient and don't be surprised when the enemies of God are furious and frightened and some of the friends of God are disappointed with him because Christmas isn't what I thought it should be. Oh, pull back. Pull back and lay claim to Isaiah's words who would say, a child, we're celebrating a season that a child was born to us, a son and on his shoulders, the government will rest. And that's not the government of Rome. That's not the government of Judea. It's not Republicans and Democrats or what's going on in Palestine. It is a longer view. It is a bigger fix. There is something way more going on. And he is doing this for me. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of peace. Thank you for joining us for this teaching. Consider hitting the subscribe button to stay tuned for next week. If you'd like to support Crosswalk Chattanooga, go to crosswalkvillage.com Chattanooga and click the give button at the far right of the ribbon at the top. Notice the campus drop-down menu and select Chattanooga. And if you'd like to come and worship with us on a Saturday morning, we would love that. When you do, please say hi to me. I'd love to learn your name.